Don't you wish you could defy the norms and rebel against the system? It's time for the Earthling Spotlight, where we recognize an independent poet or novelist. This person not only excels in their field, but also moves the industry forward. York, who's it going to be this time? My special guest today is Tiffany C. Lewis. She's a crime fiction novelist with six books. Her latest is Helpless, a short story collection. She's also the founder of Rebellion Lit, a publication company. So sit back, relax, put on your headgear as we talk to the magnificent Tiffany C. Lewis. How's it going, Tiffany? It's going really good. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Man, it's been a long time that you and I have been Twitter buddies. I think over a year we've been Twitter friends. Yeah, definitely over a year. I've been listening to your podcast for that long, longer, actually. (laughs) And I call you my executive producer because you help me out. You always give me the encouragement because as a creator, as you know, it could be such a, a lonely world. Absolutely. In the writing community, especially, I can feel that because writing and creating art can be solitary. We typically do it alone. I find myself at my computer, even if I'm in a room full of my family, they're doing their thing, I'm doing mine. And so you just kind of submerge yourself into that world. And when you come out, (laughs) it's kind of an interesting adjustment. So I'm always happy to support people who have to be introverted for their craft. On the top of the show, on the intro, I mentioned your book, your new one, Helpless. I've read this book. And as I said to you in one of my tweets, I was addicted to it. I couldn't put the book down. It's one of those books where all of the characters, they just seem to come alive. It's a very flamboyant, very intoxicating book. I heard that it took you roughly around about two months to complete the book. How did it take you such a fast time to complete it? I'm a pretty quick writer in general. I don't have problems getting words on pages once I have kind of my story idea ready. A lot of the stories were kind of kicking around in my head at the time that I had this brilliant idea to create the short story collection. I'm typically a novel writer. I'm going 50,000 words. I'm going 40,000. I do novellas. So to do something like this meant that I kind of needed stepping stones, kind of, because short stories are not really my thing. But I already had multiple ideas in my head when I got the epiphany to make this collection. One of the stories is actually featured on your podcast already, the story Emma. Saturday night seemed like it would be normal. The weather was 70 degrees and the night clouds were playing with the moon, allowing it to shine over the city. In her bedroom, Emma looked... That story was already done. I did obviously more extensive editing on it. And then I had multiple ideas that were already in my head. So just kind of my ability to get words on paper 
coupled with the fact that I had a couple of stories that I already knew I wanted to use, a couple of stories that were already outlined, a couple of stories that were literally already written, made it a pretty easy jump into getting that book done. I'm a slow writer. It takes me forever to write a story. I mean, even a short story takes me uh, such a long time. So, I mean, hats off to you that you could put this book together in two months. Midway through the book, it dawned on me. I said, wait, all of the main characters are women. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Yeah, surprise. All of the main characters are women, but I love the book so much. The good thing about it is that there are some authors when they have a certain agenda, a moral agenda, to talk about woman issues or whatever issues they want to, they want to communicate, they beat you over the head with it. You didn't do that. Your characters were strong women, but it didn't come across as I am woman. type of book. That was absolutely not the intention. I actually had someone who read the book a friend. I love and adore her. She was preparing her review. She was just saying, you know, I feel that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and yada, yada, feminism, feminist. And I just cringe when I hear that because that is absolutely not the intention to make this even a woman empowerment book, even though that's the facts of it. The idea and the way that I like don't beat people over the head with with the topic is that, again, it's not the forefront of my goal. My goal is to write stories that entertain. And then just focusing on the characters. Emma, for instance, you know her intimately. (laughs) So I'll use her as an example. Her whole purpose and her whole idea was just to be an entertaining sci-fi story. She moved towards her guns, slow as a snail and floated towards the nightstand. It was one of the first sci-fi stories that I ever wrote. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I am a huge genre purist. I believe that every genre has very specific ways that the readers appreciate it. I don't like to break that. Like for instance, in romance, they say you have to have a happy ending. If you don't have a happy ending, you're kind of like straddling the line of maybe a different genre even. and so. When I wrote Emma, the idea wasn't just that she was going to kick this alien's butt. 100. Emma slammed the activation button, smelt the stench of the mother's breath as they were almost face to face. She heard the sound of the catcher as the blinding light washed over the room. Or the secret surprise ending was going to be like the biggest thing ever. It was like, I wanted to stay true to what sci-fi is. And when you're thinking about it like that, you don't think about making Emma so feminist in that way. It's like, I just need Emma to embody what a sci-fi character would, man, woman, or any gender that you decide to take. I want her to be like that in a sci-fi. Just focusing on genre actually really helped me to stay true to the idea that I wasn't trying to make a feminist book, even though having all female main characters and having those strong role models, in essence, is femininity. Just really, really focusing on genre was was more important to me. It was this whole book was really like my me telling me that I could write genre. 
there's crime fiction, there's paranormal, science fiction, romance, and a couple of other different genres. Normally, when it comes to modern day writers, they stick to one genre at a time. But you did it all. The only thing that you didn't do, I was waiting for a children's story. <laughs> That's probably the only thing that you didn't do. <laughs> How do you make your characters come to life? I can see them. I can feel them. And I think every author probably says this. <laughs> I'll give an example from my other book series, the Michael Taylor series, which is, which is all crime fiction. And of course, it's a male character. Just really knowing who I think that Michael is physically, what he looks like, his behavior. This character in particular is from my home city. He's from Oakland, California. He's a man. He's of 30 years old. So I just know what he's like because I'm from Oakland and because I know what 30-year-old guys are like from there. And I know the determination and I know if he's struggling to get out of his negative community so that he can be a better person, what is his attitude like? And so the same thing happened with my girls. They all had, and especially for me, because it's a short story, I know A through Z on like how the whole story is going to kind of turn out when I sit down to write it. I'm an outliner, so a lot of times I do have every nook and cranny of a story kind of ready in advance. Knowing all of that about the characters helps me to make them whole, I guess. With Miriam, for instance, Miriam is from my adventure story. I knew that I wanted Miriam to be this level of tough, this level of smart, this level of, I mean, she's just so cool to me. And I think that's the kind of thing that makes a character more alive. Can you say my character is so cool to me? It's kind of like the depth of that person. It's kind of like knowing you have a friend who you think is awesome. Of course, they're alive because you literally know them. But that's how I felt about Miriam. Miriam is so cool to me. She's smart. She's like in good shape. She's not intimidated. She's just so cool to me. And so those kind of feelings, really getting emotional about my characters in that kind of way helped me to bring them to life. I could feel that even in your voice, even as you're speaking to us, I could feel the intensity and the emotions. When you write these characters, do you get inspired by them? A hundred percent. Gia is my romance character. Oh my gosh, she's a career climber. This is like her big thing. She absolutely wants to have the best career. She is willing to fight tooth and nail. She's willing to fight anybody and anything and any, any situation. And I am not like that. <laughs> I do well at my job, obviously, and I've been able to reach some certain heights in my career, my nine to five career, but nothing like Gia. Gia is just grinding her way to the top and not taking no for an answer. And this is like, man, she's so cool. <laughs> Another very inspiring character is Natalie. Um, Natalie is from my horror story. And she is, her determination is what got me. She's just so determined to deal with her situation. She doesn't want to cower. She doesn't want to hide from what's going on. 
She's a go-getter. She's ambitious. I write in the story that she's actually one of the few people in her family to do X, Y, and Z because she just does have that push. And yes, it is very inspiring to me, even though I made them up, I created them and they still give me that motivation and and that encouragement to be better. When you're faced with certain situations, do you ever say to yourself, what would Gia do? What would Natalie do? Not necessarily, but I think that, so I might think of a friend that I know who kind of is, is like that character. We can't pretend like we don't have a little bit of our friends or family or loved ones inside of our stories. So I think it kind of leans in that direction. Like I may think of a particular friend who is so strong and so smart and what would they do? But they do remind me of my characters in certain ways. Do you get that sense when you're writing your characters that these people are somehow a part of you, even if you try to distance yourself from them? Yes. And no, I think that we can't help but to kind of leech into our stories because humans that we know heavily influence our writing. I have to admit that even some of the people that I've met on Twitter have influenced my writing, especially over the <laughs> the last year, because they've been so constant in my life and encouraging me and getting into my DMs and checking on me. And for me, it's a mix between actually being a lot like me and me wanting to be more like that. I mean, our psychology goes both ways. We have all those positive traits and then we have some negative traits that could be managed a little differently. And so wanting to be more like Gia and having more push and drive and determination, it is part of who I am and part of my psychology. Like I wish I could be more like that, meaning that I feel like I'm not as much like that. It's relatable even to me when a character is not literally like me, but is part of what I may want to be one day. On the cover of Helpless, you slashed the the less. What led you to that decision? I wanted people to kind of know, just by looking at the cover, that these books are going to be about empowered women. The word helpless came to me because, oh my gosh, I watch so much true crime. From the outside looking in, other people's lives can look perfect. In 2019, the murder of a teenager. So much true crime. ID Channel, Oxygen, you name it, a According to investigators, 19-year-old Jessica Chambers was inside her car when someone lit it on fire. But somehow, though injured, she miraculously got out of it. I'm just submerged in true crime. Part of the other reason that my stories are so realistic and my characters are so realistic is because these tropes and these ideas of how women operate are everywhere. The weak woman, the scared woman, the maybe overly aggressive woman, they're everywhere. And so when I watch these channels, I would say that watching these channels for me is psychological study. I just like understanding motives. And so it doesn't do the female gender a lot of favors. And this is where the word helpless even comes from. Life is fragile and it only takes one person and a betrayal of trust to shatter everyone's world. It's like they say, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. These women 
are often very helpless. Even if they're not, even if the story turns into their triumph, they're made to seem helpless on the start because this is the emotional way that the producers draw you in. Oh, there's a woman just having a run and someone just grabs her and pulls her off the trail. The 30-year-old on her last run, a short time before she was sexually assaulted and strangled. She's so frail. She can't even beat her attacker, whoever's trying to take her. Or there's the woman who's putting her groceries in the trunk and a man comes up with a gun and kidnaps her. Anyone's thinking, I would just run from him. I would just attack him. But the shows are making her appear helpless. She's just going to get in the car and drive away with this man. That's what I noticed with those shows. You're right. The women, they always seem helpless. They're, they're kidnapped. They're thrown in the basement. Not a lot of them fight back. Yeah. And so for me, because I knew I was writing stories that would subvert all of those true crime in fictional crime, we're well represented. I want to be clear. We're not always victims. And a lot of times the idea of subverting that trope is everyone's goal. Everyone wants to make women, especially now, look empowered because we are. And so putting the line through that less was my hint to anyone who just picks it up, looks at the front. Is this helpless or is this not? Just to put that kind of seed in your head that that part's crossed out. So, of course, the, I can't do that in, the, in text, but the least I could do was the imagery to kind of give readers that idea that like, wait a minute, this is not as much less as I, as I thought it was. <laughs> I think that's ingenious. You have to do something with a book cover these days to grab people's attention. If I was walking in a traditional bookstore and I saw that book, I'll instantly look at it and say, okay, it's crossed out. What is this book about? Your first published book was in 2011. What was your motivation to start writing? People always say this. As a kid, I used to always write, but it was kind of um, a weird relationship. It wasn't negative. It was just unnurtured by me, unnurtured by my family, unnurtured. No, no one cared to encourage me to write. And that was because I had, if my aspirations are divided into percentages, 90% of my aspiration was education. I am a preschool teacher. I have taught children ages zero to 18 my whole life. I got multiple degrees in the subject and everybody just knew I was gonna be a teacher. They didn't know who I was going to work for, a high school, college, or whatever. Looks like you all learned a pretty valuable lesson today. But nobody thought I was going to be a writer. <laughs> and neither did I. I immediately threw myself into learning about early childhood education, school-age education, almost got my teaching credential multiple times. It is a huge passion for me. Understanding children's growth and development is a huge passion for me. All this time, however, I have been writing. I wrote in high school. I was the editor-in-chief of my class newspaper. We moved to Arizona and I had my daughter and I immediately got on Facebook, met a whole bunch of other writers 
and started writing then. I wrote poems. I had a very well-received blog at the time. This was in 2008. Not the blog that I run now, but another blog. And this is how I met the first woman who had ever published my work through my blog. All of a sudden, it just felt so right. I don't know if it was the fact that publication came into play or the camaraderie that I had. All of a sudden, there were so many people around me who were writing, even though they were virtual. At that time, all of a sudden, it was just like, yes, writing is amazing. And of course, I had encouragement and my family never discouraged me. I always had a writing always, like I said, had a good relationship with me and with my life, with my family, with everyone who knew that I wrote. They were always encouraging. It was just not a priority. So once I joined this group, my mentors like, I'm so ready to publish you. Give me your first novel. It ended up being a novella, which is great even still. I'm glad that I was able to to get that done. But it was, I don't know, like I said, maybe the idea that I could be published, maybe the idea that I could sell my books. I don't know exactly what really sparked it. How was that experience seeing your your first published book? I think it was probably a little different than other people because my mentor really included me in everything. It was like learning to publish at the same time as getting published, the fee that I take with my own company. But it was literally like, I got the cover made. I very specifically got the cover made. I picked my own editor. I went through the formatting with her front, back, left, right. It was just so submersive into the literal publication of it. And this is because I'm a nerd. I love to learn. And so figuring out like how this worked was cool for me. But I know some people's publishing experience is not the same. They kind of, regardless of it's independent or traditional, they sign a contract and their book is just whisked away. They get to make decisions, of course, related to their publication. But the level of input that I had was like, 95% of everything. I got to select the format. I got to select the book size. I got to select every single thing. And I got to really learn the inside of how my publisher was doing everything. By the time I got to my second book, which was also published by the same company, Steamy Trails Publishing, I really took the lead on everything because I knew that then I would be branching off. But The experience was really eye-opening. If I could just define it in one sentence, it was very, very eye-opening. If you were to sum up everything in a nutshell, what makes a compelling story? It's always the connection to the character. People hate to hear me say this, but I stand by this. Nothing is new. Nothing is creative. Everything has been done, even if you've never heard of it. There's just so many so many years of human creativity, things that we just haven't even been able to explore because of the lack of technology. So for me, if there's a trope or something that's done in a book that I've seen before, that doesn't mean that the story is not engaging or enticing or fun to read. The characters, however, I think this is where the author can have so much creative license. Because as humans, which characters are typically humans, I don't read a lot of stories where characters are animals or aliens even. 
I like sci-fi, but characters that we read are human. There are so many layers of their reaction to things, their lack of a reaction to things, their physical reactions, their decision-making, relationship with other characters. All of these kind of things that make humans real is what draws me in and makes me feel like I love a story. I have an example. One of my favorite, more recent books that I read, an independently published book, is called The Alva. And it's by my friend Molly Kirchner. Molly did an amazing job of getting me invested in her characters. The main character is a woman, which I guess that's like my thing lately. (laughs) I love female lead characters and tough characters just like this one. But she has a co-main character who is kind of quirky in in his own little way. I would say her plot is pretty unique. I'm not going to give it away. I think everyone should buy her book and read it. There are so many opportunities for characters to touch the plot. The interactions between the main character, this female character that I love, and her partner, who's a male character, their interactions can go in any direction. We know the tropes, right? They could be romantically attached. They could be enemies. They could be competing for a promotion. There could be all kinds of things going on just in that. We're not even talking about the major storyline that she presents in the book. How do we deal with them together? And then we have that female character and her connection to the plot and how she deals with the plot and how she deals with the conflicts. So to me, like the best stories have characters who surprise us in what they're doing with the plot because the plot could be anything. It could literally be something you've already heard of. It could be something you didn't know you already heard of. It could be something that has been done. You just don't know. The best example I can give of this is the book Christine by Stephen King. That book was a movie. They're not the same. She is seductive. The connection that we have with Christine the car and with her owner. She is passionate. And with the people who interact with him is what makes Christine. She is possessive. Unique and interesting compared to that movie. She is pure. Evil. I like what you said about when it comes to originality, we could take the tropes and make an original twist to them. A good story, doesn't matter what it is, it could be a zombie apocalypse. It's not necessarily about the zombie apocalypse. It's about the characters and how they go through it and what makes them human. It tests their spirits and we could identify with that. There is some authors out there they focus so heavily on the genre itself that they lose the, the heart of the story. For instance, there are some science fiction writers that focus so heavily on the technology. They lose the romance. They lose the poetry. They lose the spirit of the story itself. But the good authors like you, particularly, you always focus on the characters. That's why your books do so well. If you were to take a look at the crime fiction book these days, like the scene as it is, what's some of your pet peeves when it comes to crime fiction? My biggest issue with 
crime fiction is probably not just with crime fiction, but how the books are being released. Some authors just are just throwing them out there. Like the focus on crafting is sometimes taking a back seat to release speed. But I think that speaks for the whole literary industry right now. I don't think crime fiction specifically. I'm always looking for crime fiction books. So I notice when an author is just like, every month there's a new book out. And I'm just like, is this one going to be exactly like the last one? Is this one actually going to be better? Have you had any time to research, perfect your craft or do, you know, to me, I see it as that. But I feel like a lot of authors could identify with this idea that people are uh, machining their books out as opposed to just enjoying the craft and making sure that they have something special. I think for me, I like releasing two books a year, but the process of getting a book released is not six months. And the reason that I'm able to kind of manage that is is because of how fast I write. But there's a, a long process of preparation. If If I write a book in 2018, you may not see it until 2022 because of the amount of preparation, the attention to details I want to give my other books, the marketing efforts, et cetera, et cetera. So getting two books out a year is is really a challenge for, for me. And so when I see people able to release so many books so fast, sometimes I do question the quality and the attention to detail. And Yeah, Tiffany, I question that as well. There is, as you said, machine gun authors out there, like every month they have a book published. A lot of that is financial reasons. They're thinking, well, I have to have a book all the time so that I could make money. The making money part of it overrides the attention to detail, crafting the characters, doing the hard work. Two books a year, as, as you write, that's still very hard, but it's manageable. And I could tell that you care a lot about every facet when it comes to when it comes to writing. I will say my number one marketing tip when I talk to authors is always that when you release a book, you have to have another one in the back burner, like ready to go out. This is a fact to me. It means that you should always be writing. It doesn't mean that you should always be releasing books. When you release a book, it creates this excitement around your brand. And I could go on and on about how every author is their own brand, but I won't cloud up (laughs) the podcast with that. It's the idea that, yes, you should have another manuscript ready. If you're doing a sequel, people don't want to wait two years for your sequel. However, it still needs to be your absolute best quality. And if it can't come out in a month, then it just can't come out in a month. There are so many publishing companies. I realized that you started your own publishing company, Rebellion Lit. Why did you start Rebellion Lit? It started as a means to an end, so to speak. When I first got into the actual publication of books, when I was getting my first book published, it was a mess. It was people like this monthly... I mean, I saw people putting out books every two weeks. No editing, no well-done covers, just making their cover on their own with no graphic design help, 
getting no second opinions, not using beta readers. I noticed that a lot of people were just publishing under their own name. And let me say, first of all, that is fine. I don't want to be that snobby person who's saying you can't publish under your own name. You can absolutely publish under your own name. You can name your publishing company after yourself. That's not a problem. The problem for me, because it's very personal, is that I didn't want to feel like those people that I had such a huge issue with when I first started. I was just kind of brainwashed into feeling like I needed to have a publishing company in order to release my own work. I think a lot of people agree with me that it looks more professional. It feels more professional. Again, I'm not saying that you can't publish under your own name. If your book is flawless, you can publish under any name that you want. But I started Rebellion initially as a way to publish my own work. I had no intentions of publishing anyone else. Over time, however, I decided that it wouldn't hurt at all for me to publish other people's books and it would be fun even. The first thing that we really want to do is an anthology, which is kind of the easiest thing that you can publish other people's work. I ended up finding a poet that I could publish. So we're in the process of doing that now. Just the idea of having the business back you up and Rebellion Lit is a registered business in California. And that's how I treat it. Having an imprint of your own is a great idea for professionalism. It's a great idea for tax safety. It's a great idea for all of these different reasons, even if it's just you, even if it's just you and your neighbor. I really like the security of it. I like the professionalism of it. I really like the name Rebellion Lit. Who came up with the name? My boyfriend is my publishing partner, Brandon. I've been thinking about publishing my own work under my own imprint for years, since 2011. But it wasn't until me and him started talking about our creative goals that the word rebellion came up. He just said, I want to name my company Rebellion something. Rebellion, like the idea of pushing back, the idea of rebelling is strong in his nature. And I'm learning that every single day as we continue to work together. It literally came from his mouth. The more I thought about it, the more I thought about even my books at the time, because like I already had two books out. And so I said, oh my gosh, Michael Rebel, 100%. He's this kind of character that's like, doesn't have a partner. Supervisor tells him to do something. He does the opposite because he knows that doing the opposite is how he gets justice. He hates bureaucracy. He's a full rebel. Outside of going to work on time and doing his job, he rebels against this, that, and and the other. So when I realized that my books actually already fit into the publishing criteria for our company, (laughs) it just just made perfect sense. I stuck with it. (laughs) That's very good. I'm glad that you did. Even your book, Helpless, all of those characters, they seem like rebels. Yeah, absolutely. In some ways, they're not, they're just doing what's natural. Even if you find a character there who's not rebellious, the book itself is a rebellion against true crime ideals. It's a rebellion against these shows that, although I love them, they just don't treat women the way I'd like. Where do you see your company in a couple of years from now? I actually see my company in a 
in a crazy place. <laughs> More realistically, I, I have huge visions and goals, especially with COVID coming to an end. I'd really love to have us an office working from home. I'm over it. I am over working from home. So I'm going back to my normal, my nine to five job. I get to be with my kids again. And I kind of want Rebellion to feel the same way. Like I want to leave my house and go to the Rebellion office. That's a huge step. At a more realistic level, I am planning an anthology, as I mentioned before. And I'm actually really excited to finally do it. Because I only publish two books a year, I end up publishing my own books. I'm trying to get Michael's series in a place where I feel comfortable just kind of letting it sit because I'm the kind of person that I love reading, especially when it comes to crime fiction. There can always be another book because crime never stops. And so I just want to get Michael into a place where he is kind of comfy. If readers pick up book one and they read book two and they read book three, they read book four, which we're planning for January, then that's comfy. I have a little bit of cushion before people start to riot and, you know, want another book. Between book one and two, I was just having the hardest time with people wanting another book, another book. So I think once I get to book four, it'll be padded. It'll be kind of comfy. And then, of course, I have Helpless, which will always be a priority as far as telling the stories of these women. Alyssa Fairfield is another book that I have out. So for me, I'm pretty stacked as far as my own books are concerned. I want to get this anthology out. It's a paid anthology. So I'm planning to buy material from authors. I'm hoping that I get to meet tons of authors who've never sold a story before because it is so awesome to get paid for your work. I really, really hope that I get to meet some authors who are excited to sell their story to our anthology. So really quick, I'll just explain our first anthology. I haven't announced this to anyone. So you're my favorite person. I want to tell you, I want this to be your exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> first play. This anthology, I don't have a date yet, but I don't mind talking about it early because people have to write their story. The theme for our anthology will be the start. We want stories that are about the first time, the start of something. Someone's first kiss, someone's first bank robbery. Stick them up. This is a robbery. Someone's first space ride. Look at the stars. The first time they murdered someone. What? Obviously, I'm looking for fiction. Just... The start of something, the start of a relationship, the start of a criminal background, the start of a private investigator's firm, the start of an intergalactic war. Resistance is futile. We're just looking for that stories that encapsulate the beginning of something, the start of something. Even if it's like the end of something that goes into the start of something else, just the idea of getting started is is kind of what we're looking for. How do you handle negative criticism? I feel lucky sometimes because I'm waiting to answer this question. <laughs> I've had very few situations. First of all, I have a master's degree in communication. So communication, the science of 
relating to other people, the science of communicating is a huge deal for me. I spent a lot of money to understand how to communicate with people. And that's part of the way that I keep my relationships positive. I'll give you guys all, everyone listening, one little tip about communicating. It sounds negative. Every time I say it, people kind of, you know, feel yucky about it. But the truth is, is that communicating with people is best done when they're communicating with you. And basically what that means is, is that more people are comfortable and happy to tell you about what they're going through as opposed to listening to what you're going through. And I know that sounds yucky. It feels yucky. It sounds selfish, but it's a part of our psychology. It's how the brain operates. A lot of people are more gratified when they are expressing themselves about themselves. So for me, I'm a very selfless communicator. I love to hear about what other people are doing. I love to talk about their projects. And if they never ask me about my project, I don't care about that because I am at that moment creating a relationship with them that turns into, in the long run, people never forget to check on me. People appreciate hearing from me. They appreciate when they reach out to me. They're happy to hear from me. What kind of future projects do you have? I have so many manuscripts that are done. I try to keep a calendar of of my release schedule, but my social media manager is the reason that I've had to kind of take a step back from this because she's the one who encouraged me to release my next book in January. So right now that's kind of like the only thing in my head. I have a few stories that are in the front running for ones that I want to release. Unfortunately, the book that I really want to release is not written yet. I'm going to need kind of a kickstart for that. My Alyssa Fairfield series, I'd like to write a second book for it, but I absolutely have not had the will and determination. A lot of other really fun projects have come up. I have a romance story that I kind of wrote with the help of of a friend that I'm really interested in releasing. I have two books that I want to release at the same time. They are short books. They're novellas. So there's actually a ton going on kind of in the in the background, but nothing is set in stone. I want to focus on Michael. I have a huge marketing effort that I'm planning for that book, including a website, which is going to be really fun, I think. And the anthology, I really got to put my, my mind to that. If any book is next, it is that anthology. Tiffany, thank you so very much for being on this show. You are a breath of fresh air. Thank you for supporting Poetic Earthlings. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate all your support as well. You are constantly and always there for me all through all the year or maybe even longer that we've known each other. Well, Tiffany, it was a pleasure. And I just want to let you know that you are a fabulous earthling. Thank you. You're welcome. You take care, Tiffany. Thank you for listening to Poetic Earthlings with my special guest, Tiffany C. Lewis. She has a new book out. It's called Helpless. To get your copy and to see everything that she's up to, please go to my website, poeticearthlings.com.
www.mostpowerfulmusicgroup.com. Also, I produce another show called Most Precious Commodity. The host and the writer, Brent Stark, takes you on a magical, amazing trip as he talks about time. So if you want to have your mind blown while you're not listening to this show, then check out my buddy Brent Stark with his podcast, Most Precious Commodity. Remember, show compassion to your fellow human, and I'll talk to you soon.